Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 179. And this is a very exciting episode, particularly exciting for me, because on this episode, I am featuring the Villainy and Vice book club. Villainy and Vice, they were kind enough to feature my my debut novel, Inside the Outside, as uh, as one of the books in their book club. So they they uh, the, the members of the, the the book club they they read Inside the Outside, and they got together for a discussion about the book. But not only did they get together for a discussion about Inside the Outside, they were they were also kind enough to include me. So uh, so on this on this episode, you'll actually get to hear. Uh, the, the the meeting and the discussion with the Villainy and Vice Book Club, uh, specifically with with me involved to to talk about the book with them. So it was a uh, it was very very cool. It was a it was a really it, I had a great time. I can't I can't speak for for the book club. I have no idea. They might have been miserable, um, but I had a great time. I loved talking to them. Uh, I, the book club was first brought to my attention by my good friend Nick Knoll. Uh, Nick Knoll recently got married, so he changed his name to Nick Reichert. I, I certainly hope I got the last name right, Nick. If I didn't, uh, send me a, a text message calling me a, an asshole or something. But anyway, uh, for those of you who were longtime fans of the show, and also you have long memories, you all remember that uh, Nick was one of the very, very first guests I had on the podcast. So, So Nick goes all the way back to episode seven. So this is episode 179. Uh, I think Nick also has the record for the longest break between appearances. So Nick's first appearance was episode seven and his second appearance on the show was episode number 179. So uh, if my math is correct, that's about a 172 episode break and and also roughly two and a half to, to, to three years, something like that. Anyway, at the time when Nick was on episode seven, uh, one of the things that we talked about is at the time he was hosting his own podcast. It was a show called Left. It was a very good show. And in the show, the, the premise of the show is Nick would interview people who left something significant in their life. So uh, I know one particular episode was where he was talking to a, a married couple and they were leaving monogamy and they were they were entering the world of, 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 an open, of open marriages. Uh, there was a, another really, really great episode, an extremely emotionally moving episode that I still uh, still remember, where they were talking to a young lady uh, who was, uh, she was dealing, battling breast cancer. And so she was, uh, at, at the time of the interview, she was uh, preparing for, uh, to, to have a, a, a mastectomy. So she was going to be, you know, in this case, you know, physically, you know, leaving her, her breast behind but it also had much larger uh, much larger significance you know for for what i imagine are are obvious reasons so uh it was a it was a really good podcast and uh i was really proud of him when he was when he was working on it uh not that i stopped being proud of my friend nick but 
Uh, the podcast, they don't do the podcast anymore. I'm not 100% sure what happened there. I'll, I'll have to ask him about that. Maybe I'll bring him on my podcast again for a third appearance. But uh, if, if we're sticking to the, uh, the, the current pace, that won't happen until, uh, let's see, let's do some math. Uh, let's see, 30... 31 what are the episodes I don't know somewhere in the episode somewhere uh, episode 240 ish something like that but somewhere in the area of episode 240 I'll ask Nick uh why he stopped doing his podcast uh anyway uh Nick and I you know we met several years ago way back in uh really actually we met about a decade ago back when I was still uh, when I was still uh, a college professor and he and I we're teaching at one of the same schools, and we uh, we were we were I think we were just grading papers at the same time in this sort of a uh, community teacher office, and uh, and you know I was I, Nick uh, said hello and we struck a conversation and we really became fast friends after that. So so I've known Nick for for well over a decade. Now as far as the the villainy and vice thing goes, uh, he had contacted me a few months back, uh, probably over the summer, something like that, to let me know that they had recently selected my book for like the upcoming month for their for their book club, and um, and I'm fairly certain at the time he had, he had uh, he had asked if uh, if if I could if I could actually show up and be part of the meeting, which uh, I would have really loved to have been part of it. Uh, I can only assume it didn't happen because I I live in Las Vegas, so the and they're they're in Southern California, so the logistics of it wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't have been ideal. Uh, and it could have also been that uh, Nick just forgot to uh, update me. I don't know, but you know what? That's uh, that's uh, look at me, look at me throwing Nick under the bus. That's there's no good reason for that. We're gonna 100% say it's because I live in Las Vegas, and it wouldn't have been convenient because that way, uh, I guess at worst, that makes me the asshole for uh, for not going to to the meeting for these nice people who took time out of out of their lives to to both read my book and get together to to talk about it. So so I will I will be the the villain in this scenario. I'm the asshole, but. Anyway, that said, uh, the the day that the book club was meeting, it was a Nick. Uh, he sent me a text message. It was a it was a Saturday morning, and uh, he let me know that they were getting together that day with the book club, and they were going to do they were you know doing a, a field trip of sorts. They were going to go look at some different spots in the Inland Empire, uh, which is where my book Inside the Outside takes place. And then uh, then he was asking if they could just if they could give me a phone call. And that, uh, and that I could, in that, in that way, I could be part of the part part of the, the the book club meeting. So I was, I was not only was I thrilled to do that, but also because uh, because I'm a podcaster, my immediate thought was that would be great for the podcast. So I asked him if it was cool if we recorded it for the podcast, and uh, I assume he cleared it with the with the book club. Um. Gosh, you know, at this point, uh, I guess I really should assume that he cleared it with the book club because I'm playing it either way. And if and if he didn't, then of course that makes that makes Nick the asshole. So there, there's there's a very high probability that both Nick and I will 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 take turns being the asshole of this episode. Nonetheless, Nick uh, Nick gave me the thumbs up, and uh, and uh, and just like that, uh, you know, on the fly, planned out a, a podcast episode. The the members of the book club that uh, that that you're gonna hear during the conversation are Danelle, Karen, Wileen, 
And uh, and actually, there's a there's another member, Mayan Mayan, pardon me. Uh, she's the only member of the book club uh, who she was there, but she's not uh, she's not present on the phone call. Uh, I I can uh, I'll I'll just uh, I'll assume that uh, maybe she was feeling shy, and uh, I I can only hope. I can only hope it wasn't personal. Uh, of course, it's entirely possible that that uh, that that sweet Mayan just absolutely hated my book and didn't actually want to talk to me. In which case, you know, that's cool. I I I appreciate that. Nonetheless, she she was there. She was part of you know part of the part of the book club meeting to talk about inside the outside. Now, I, I mentioned that uh, that they went on a, a field trip of sorts before the phone call. And so, this, so the idea was is because Inside the Outside takes place in the Inland Empire, they wanted to get into the spirit of learning more about the Inland Empire. So first they went to the Cooper Museum, which was established in 1965 by the Chafee Communities Cultural Center. And this particular museum in the Inland Empire, it's dedicated to preserving and interpreting the history and culture of the communities of Upland, Ontario, Montclair, Mount Baldy, Rancho Cucamonga, my stomping grounds, as well as San Antonio Heights, and so those are all those are all cities. Those are all very prominent cities in the Inland Empire. Um, they don't encompass the entire Inland Empire just for the sake of anybody keeping score, but those are those are definitely several of uh, of of the of the of the of the of the main cities in the Inland Empire, and uh, and, and all cities which I've uh, visited and spent time in and uh, lived in a few of them. Uh, Chanel. Uh, got her, <laughs> got her license plate stolen from her car uh, back when I lived in one of the uh, one of the uh, shadier areas of Montclair, California. So, uh, so I, I, I've, I've, uh, I, I'm sure I have stories with uh, with all of these cities that uh, that I could share at some point. Uh, after the museum, the uh, the book club, they went to the Rescue Brewing Company, which is in Upland, California, and this is one of those really cool spots that's also just really socially conscious. So one thing that they do is they make dog biscuits from the spent grains left over from each of their each of their brews, each of their batches of beer, and then they sell the dog biscuits and they give all of the proceeds to the Upland Animal Shelter. So uh, that's just that's just really cool. So I'm very happy to, to to give them a shout out again. They're the Rescue Brewing Company. And then finally, the uh, the, the book club field trip took them to Polly's Pizza Pub. And that's where our conversation actually took place. Is a, is at a Polly's Pizza Pizza Pub, and uh, because because all of this, like I said, it all came about pretty last minute. We really didn't have time to plan anything outside of outside of the phone call and just a just a general time in which in which you know they would call me and I would make sure that I was available to chat with them. So amongst other other things, without uh, any real opportunity for for planning or say podcast wise any pre-production the sound isn't perfect um but it's fine you'll you'll be able to understand uh, understand them you know for the most part but, but again because they are in a, in a public space or in a restaurant there's going to be background noise and other other people there so so you know it's not perfect but uh but you'll be able to to, to hear our conversation also uh you know again because there was no real planning involved uh the structure of the episode we worked it out on the spot but for me as a podcaster, that's honestly that's that's all that's all part of the fun. So that that doesn't bother me in the least. Now, before we get to it, uh, as a reminder, if you have any shopping to do, you should you should definitely go to Amazon.com. 
Uh, but before you go to Amazon.com, go to the official website of this podcast, MartinLestrapsShow.com. Once you get there, go to the shop page. And on the shop page, you're going to see an Amazon banner. Click that banner. It's going to take you to Amazon. And then you can do all the same shopping you were going to do otherwise, including, I imagine, getting yourself a copy of Inside the Outside, which is available both in paperback and Kindle format. And because you went through the official website of this podcast, Amazon, in turn, will kick back a few pennies our way, and then we get to take those pennies and reinvest them back into the show, and that allows us to make the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it for you, which we strive to do week after week after week. Also, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, please do so on iTunes. It is, it is absolutely free. You subscribe, and then uh, every week or thereabouts, uh, you know, I miss a week once in a while. But the idea is every week a new episode will drop into your iTunes list. And again, the great thing is if you're subscribed and I miss a week, it's okay because, you know, the, the, the following week or the week after or whenever I put up the next episode, it will magically appear in your iTunes list. Like, you don't have to look for it. You don't have to come back to the website, for example, week after week to see if there's a new episode. Although, I wouldn't be mad if you did that. And again, while you're there, go to the shop page and then go to Amazon and, and buy something cool. Support the podcast. Uh, also, if you're not an iTunes listener, you can also listen on Stitcher Radio, which is also free. You can find it at stitcher.com. But if neither one of those options does it for you, then uh, then all 179 episodes are also available on the official website, martinlestrapshow.com. Uh, so there's that. Now, one last thing before we move on to my conversation with the Villainy and Vice book club. Uh, this is the most in-depth conversation I've ever had about Inside the Outside on the record. So... Um, I've, I've, I've certainly talked about uh, Inside the Outside in depth, uh, with, with groups like this, with, uh, with book clubs or at, uh, at, uh, speaking engagements at, uh, libraries or high schools or colleges, uh, or prisons, you know, that's happened before, but, uh, I've never had this in depth of a converse, uh, of a conversation about Inside the Outside that was also recorded. And so the reason I say that is we go way deep into spoiler territory. And I know the book at this point has been published for six years, but uh, but for me, you know, there's real no expiration date on spoilers. I'm not a huge fan of, of, of spoilers. However, you know, uh, th- this is a, this is a book club conversation. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's about, it's about my book. And so far be it from me, uh, to put any sort of restrictions on the conversation. So if you haven't read Inside the Outside and you really and truly don't want any spoilers, then go ahead and pause the episode, go to Amazon, buy yourself a copy of the book. If you've got Amazon Prime, it'll arrive on your doorstep in, in two days. Get the book, uh, read it uh, as quickly as you can, but not so quick that you can't enjoy it. And then as, as soon as you finish reading the book, Come back to the podcast, press play, and then you can you can fully enjoy the conversation. If you don't if you don't care about spoilers, first of all, uh, you and I have very little in common because I hate spoilers. But if you don't care about spoilers, then uh, then just uh, keep listening. Sounds like you'll be fine. So, without any further ado, here is my conversation with the Villainy and Vice Book Club. Where are you guys at? Um, we're at Rescue Brewery in uh, Upland. Oh, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Yeah. 
we went to uh, your your book inspired us to try to learn something about the Inland Empire. So we went to the Cooper <laughs> Regional Museum, and then uh, went over to the Rescue Brewery, and now we're eating pizza from Polly's. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel, well, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think that I went to the museum you're talking about. I just don't know any names of them. But it's I, by I, the train track. So, um, how do you guys want to do that? Do you want me to pass the phone to ask a couple of questions? Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> no, I just feel bad. I don't want it. I want to. I'm probably going to make you ask a couple of questions. <laughs> we had a whole list of questions. We just started talking about it. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm uh, one of the pieces. What? Go ahead. Oh, uh, just in terms of uh, for for the purpose of the podcast, I figure uh, you could tell me a little bit about the, the the book club itself and how it came about and whose idea it was and how you guys stay organized. Okay, what's uh, so the book club? What's it called? Villainy, villainy, and vice. The book club. Villainy, what? And villainy and vice. Villainy and vice. I like that. Vice with a V. V I C E. Got it. Villainy and yeah. vice. Yeah. And um, it was started uh, for literature for about Southern California. Oh, that's cool. So I think what we're doing is uh, fiction, nonfiction, fiction. So you were the fiction choice. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, we're hoping they're saying it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we were wondering about the, uh, the research, the cannibalism. Did you do a lot of research for that? Yeah, you know, I did. I, I did as much as I could, and I found out relatively quickly that there, there. At least when I was doing research, there wasn't uh, nearly as much information as I was as I was hoping. So, a lot of the cannibalism, uh, cannibalism literature I found was usually from like very like tribal primitive, you know, uh, nameless islands, it seemed like. Oh, okay. So, um, and, and that's, and, and I knew those weren't the cannibals I wanted to write about. Uh, at, least, at least what I mean is those weren't the cannibals I had in my head. So I sort of, I veered away from that, and, and uh, I eventually figured since I wasn't able to find a lot of more specific research, I figured that gave me a kind of liberty to, to, to kind of, you know, make up my 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 vision of what this uh, cannibal cult looked like, and so okay, the, the the most research I did in terms of trying to get that accurate actually was I started doing research on, um, like like grocery store, uh, like butchers, and uh, get an idea of like, uh, what that looks like and how they do their job because I figured that's probably what what uh, these cannibals would do. Okay, are you you're still vegetarian, right? Yeah. Or are you vegetarian or vegan? Uh, I guess uh, at this point, I'm more specifically pescatarian, but vegetarian is usually easier for a, a general vegetarian. audience to get. Yeah, no, because we were wondering about um, Timber's change in mood toward uh, meat later on in the story. I was just wondering. Uh, I didn't even make the connection, but uh, a couple did that maybe had something to do with you, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's vegetarian. <laughs> Uh, that, I'll tell you what, uh, that's pretty amazing because I've never made that connection, but as you say it out loud, it resonates, it resonates pretty closely because I mean, that's, <laughs> cause, uh, that's, it's, it's sort of, 
when when I reflect on it, I, I I think I had sort of a similar a similar I don't want to call it a, a epiphany or whatever, but similar to to Timber when I did finally make the uh, decision, it happened relatively quickly, and it was it was very much sort of a, an emotional decision. Well, okay. in the middle of making a, a turkey sandwich the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, did you, yeah, was there something particular about that turkey? Did you watch it get butchered? <laughs> so, uh, so yes and no. So, up, oh. up to, so leading up to that, for, uh, for there was a couple of months where I was, I was at Cal State San Bernardino, and I was taking a okay. class. Uh, to, for the life of me, I can never remember the exact name of the class, but my memory of it, it's it's the vegetarian class. But that wasn't the purpose. Uh, but that's what I remember from it. So, a lot of the literature was about like like farming and uh, sort of like corporate farms and uh, animals, how they get abused, and saw a lot of pictures and videos. And so, there's a few months of like all this literature and information kind of settling in and oh, okay. kind of grappling with my you know with my with my conscience. And so then you, you so, took a class at Cal State Embers, you know about like agriculture and farming, right? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. so, so when the class ended, it was right around the holidays. And, um, I, I remember it was a, it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. It was definitely a holiday. It was definitely the day after. And I was, uh, got, I, was, I got a piece of Turkey to make a sandwich and I'm like looking at this Turkey. And I think kind of for the first time I saw like muscle and sort of sinew. And I was, I like, it, it okay. wasn't, it, was, it wasn't a, it wasn't an abstract piece of meat anymore. I have one more question. I'm going to pass you to Danelle. Okay. But uh, we were kind of interested in on the uh, the sex in the story. Okay. Um, we noticed that most of the, I guess you would say straight sex was rape. Uh-huh. And then most of the, the you know, the gay sex was actually like sudden experience. Like what yeah. was your decision for that? Wow. These are good questions. Okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I'll start. I'll start with the with with my immediate thought, which is um, I, I don't I don't even know if I put that much thought into it, but I'm sure on some level I did, because uh, within the cult itself, I, I think if I had to really reflect on my my the, the space I was in when I was writing the story, um, the 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 cult itself was definitely intended to be very misogynistic, uh, over the top. Okay. So. And so, uh, like Paul was supposed to be over the top misogynistic. And so then, you know, outside the cult, when yeah. uh, you know when she was experiencing sex, <laughs> then, <laughs> that it was. They you all know. agree that it was very misogynistic. <laughs> so you got that. <laughs> you got that across. <laughs> and so I, I guess uh, I, I imagine I was looking for a sort of a juxtaposition that even even if even if Timber were heterosexual, I still would have had the sex outside the cult be more more uh you know loving and, and romantic but in in this case i think the, the thematically it worked it kind of worked out that the heterosexual sex was very aggressive and, and rape and and outside the cult where it was uh homosexual it was it was more loving but again if she was heterosexual i still would have had the same um idea okay interesting all right um hey we're gonna i'm gonna pass you over to the now okay okay Hi. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm Martin, by the way. What's your name? Danelle. Chanel? Danelle with a D. Oh, Danelle? Yes. Got it, Danelle. Uh, well, yeah. it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for reading my book. It's a terrific honor. 
Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for being available to us. I mean, it's not often you get to ask an author pointed question <laughs> about what's going on in a book, right? It's really nice. No, this is uh, literally the best part of my day, so you guys are great. Oh, yay. Thank you. Well, just me and Nick. I mean, you haven't talked to everyone else. They're, they're just okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so far, uh, yeah. Danelle is the best part of this conversation. <laughs> um. So I'll ask you a question. Okay. So um, there was a loose end. We wanted to know if the police officer was taking money for his kid or if he was actually shaking down people for the DA. Oh, that that's a great question. Uh, well, let me start with this, and I promise I'm not deflecting. Uh, what, what was that's your fine. feeling? What, what um, did you think he was doing? I I personally feel that he was taking the money for his kid and he was just playing bad cop. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> the, yeah, that's, that was pretty much the idea for me was, um, uh, he was, he was, a he was a good guy ultimately. And he cared about his family and he particularly wanted to make sure his kid was okay. And it was sort of demonstrating the, the lengths he was willing to go, even if it meant becoming sort of a crooked cop and then in the the right. the, the larger the larger uh, theme of of the story, one of the main themes of the story that I that I um, worked to kind of massage in throughout was the idea that no one person is good or bad, that there's no real black and white, right. that there's gray areas with everybody. So, but to, so you know, so my hope was you could look at any character from Timber to Luscious to Officer Kirkland to even Daddy Marlowe has at least a few moments of of. You know, like Daddy Marley, he's he's the closest thing in the story to pure evil. But I I made a point of giving right. him like a few moments of of humanity. So I, I wanted that theme to play out. So with the cop, that was kind of the idea that he is doing this bad thing. But if you look deeper, uh, whether it makes it right or wrong, there was a there was a yeah. human reason behind it. And then uh, we also thought that the narration was uh, sort of more cinematic versus literary. That's if that a, makes sense. Like it almost felt like reading a, a movie script in a way with a little bit more description. It absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, which I always, which I, I definitely take that as a, as a compliment. And I almost, cause I, I mean, I, I, as far as uh, storytelling and influences, uh, movies have always been my biggest influence since I was a since I was a kid. Um, and so, as far as the book goes, I would love to I would love to take some sort of credit and say that I made a decision to write it in a, in a cinematic way because I hoped that people might connect with that. But the truth right. is that uh, that that it never crossed my mind. So so I love to hear I love oh. hearing you say that because it feels yeah. like. It just sort of, without me meaning to, unconsciously, the the cinematic influences of, of my whole life found their way into the book, <laughs> despite <laughs> despite you know my right. my efforts, which I think is yeah. cool. Oh, cool! Well, he liked that observation, but he didn't do it on purpose. Um, does anyone else want to ask questions? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pass you on to Karen in case she has a question for you. Okay, her name is Karen. All right. Thank you. Hi, Martin. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? Thank I'm, you for taking time for us today. It is absolutely my pleasure. And I want to make sure I get your name right. So I heard Karen. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it's Karen. Okay, awesome. How are you doing, by the way? I probably just asked that, but it doesn't matter. How are you doing today? I'm 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 doing good. I'm hanging out with friends in a brewery talking about books. What could be worse? I know. Honestly, like I wish I could be there with you guys because that sounds like a terrific way to spend a Saturday. Yeah, it's been fun. We've had a good time talking about the book. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, I by had, the way, uh, I just wanted to, I'm sorry, huh? I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to make sure that you knew how much of a, an honor it was for me that you guys even picked the book. It really genuinely means a lot to me. Oh, well, we had, it was a, a fun read. Well, I don't know fun is the word I'm kind of looking for. <laughs> it was just, I'll, I'll accept fun. Some, I won't judge you. It was, okay. <laughs> uh, my question was kind of actually about the structure. I'm interested in how you approached the structure of the book. Oh, it's a, absolutely. You know, yeah. you have the narrative the narrative frame story around it, mm-hmm. um, kind of which is a gothic technique that's used. And the elements of the book were gothic, I thought, in the middle of it. So did you deliberately set out to um, use that device, that frame device, to build the story around the, the middle part of the book? Or were you doing the, the inside-outside, you were cutting um, you know, one story and then cutting to another story? Yeah, so probably more... Probably more of that. So my my original thought was when I was first kind of putting it together, my original thought was the book would take place in in two parts. And, you know, the first part would be inside and the first part would be outside. And that kind of made the most sense to me. And uh, this might be a a semi-long-winded answer, so I'll try to keep it at a a Mm. reasonable, (laughs) reasonable length. But when I... When I when I wrote the first, uh, we'll call it the first half of the book, that part one, you know, where they're in the in where they're still inside the cult. Um, for that, I, for the most part, I had some ideas in my head, and I generally speaking, kind of wrote that kind of sort of on the fly because overall, I'm I'm a writer. I really like to to plot and outline, and I like to work out what the story is and what the beats are, and then kind of flesh it out from there. Um, partly also because this was my first book. I didn't, I was a little bit learning on the job of how to write a book while I was working on it. So I, I wrote this first part in the, within the divinity. Um, a lot of the stuff that you learn about the divinity and their, their rules and the, the sort of culture that they cultivate. Um, I, I wasn't outright making it up as I went along, but I was sort of, I was almost kind of maybe asking myself the sort of same questions that I, I assume a reader might ask themselves like, why do they do this? What's this custom about? And then I'll try to work out, you know, why would they do that? And then I would sort of uh, kind of answer the question as, as I was writing it. And then in a very early draft, um, I felt like the first several chapters were a little bit too, uh, it almost felt too much like a, like a, I don't know, like, like a, like a nonfiction, uh, I don't know, biography of this, of this cult, which I, I, I don't know if that was good or bad, but my instinct was I didn't feel like I was telling a story at that point. Like I was explaining this cult, but then I I worried that there wasn't a story being told. So then what I did was I decided to 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 string a story through to, so that way you you learn about the cult while getting a a story to to keep you engaged. So the story that I started with, that the first main art that I started with was idea and pepsi Marlowe, and because that story allowed me to introduce i was able to introduce you to a lot of things through that story you, know, you meet daddy Marlowe, you meet daddy Marlowe's boys you get your first sustenance sacrifice you get to see timber um you know uh, uh, uh admiring idea Marlowe or, or pepsi Marlowe from afar 
Uh, you see what happens when Idea gets captured. You basically, I get to show you all the main elements of the cult through a, a very, um, what I hoped was a very engaging story, uh, story arc. So, so I went through and I kind of did that. And then, uh, once I got to the end of part one, which I always, I always knew was going to eventually end with the timber leaving the outside or going into the outside. Once I finished that, um, I had no idea what to do next. Cause I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't, I, I don't know exactly what happened to her in the outside. Um, cause in fact, the, the, the very, very, very first draft, like the very first thing that I ever wrote, the first sentence that I ever wrote, uh, never made it into the book. Um, because in the very first sentence I wrote, uh, Timber Marlowe is killed. So that was, that was the first draft, first sentence, Timber Marlowe was killed by lethal injection. That was the first sentence I wrote. And then I wrote this whole sort of narrative of, of you know, you've seen her in the, the gas chamber. I don't know. She was getting lethal injection. You see the needles come in. You see, like, an audience watching. She's put to death. And then the story becomes, who's this person that became this national sort of icon for <laughs> murder? And why was she put to death? And then the rest of the story became, like, how she got there. So when I, in the first draft, when I wrote the second half of the book, the only thing I really knew is I somehow or another have to get her to a point where she gets, uh, you know, caught and arrested for something and just put to death. And then, then the idea was going to be, well, it's going to be murder. It's going to involve cannibalism. She was just ultimately probably just surviving on what she understood. She wasn't trying to break the law, but it's a different society you know, stuff like that. But it didn't, it didn't exactly, when I finished the first draft, it didn't quite feel right. Like the first half I felt good about the second half. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it didn't feel great. So, uh, one of the, a friend of mine who was also my professor, his name is James Brown, uh, taught me, you know, pretty much everything I know about uh, creative writing. And so he was very generous and, and read this, uh, a very early draft of the book. And I didn't even tell him I was having concerns about the second half, but he said mm -hmm. the second half, doesn't uh doesn't really feel right and and so i was like oh thank you i know but i have no idea why and so he was able to to pinpoint for me kind of what was working in large part the second half um wasn't timber story anymore like luscious and ginger become very much featured and timber's almost like a supporting character in their story until the end and so i was like right oh. so i was like well that makes sense to me i could do something with that and then he said um, he said, you know, I, he wasn't even like trying to convince me of anything. He just, just kind of said almost, uh, as a, as an aside, it'd be, you know, it'd be nice if, if Timber survived. And like, that struck me right away. I was like, it really would be nice if she survived. I want her to survive. God damn it. This is my book and I'm not killing her. She survived. <laughs> she survived. So then, uh, so then I went back and I scrapped the second half of the book and I started from scratch but this time I actually outlined it and structured it. And I kind of looked at the first half and thought, what would happen? What really makes this her story? And that's how I came up ultimately with, um, you know, with officer Kirkland and the crooked district attorney and Goldstein being a much bigger part. And then eventually you got the, uh, the, the book that you read. I, 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 I warned you it was going to be a long winded answer, but I hope I kept it uh, interesting for you. Well, that's interesting because it sounded like it started as a frame story and then it turned into a hero's journey story. And Timber was the arc. I love, over I love so you decided to keep her. And so then the frame story, did you go back and put the, um, Charlotte's voice in the beginning? So you were kind of keying up from the beginning that she didn't. So you were, you were making her more sympathetic from the beginning by not letting us just walk into her chop and chop 
absolutely without knowing yeah, okay, so so yeah. that so that that part was always part of it. Um, Charlotte Luna was always the narrator, but um, also in that first draft, when you get to the end of the prologue, so so in the in the the, the final book that you read, it says it, she basically implies that um, you know I know things because I knew Timber, and then you sort of understand. Yep. You'll find out who she is later. In that very first draft, she tells you exactly who she is, and she says, you know, I know these things because Timber Timber Marlowe was my mother. And she's not the only murderer in this story. And then that's how the uh, prologue ended. And then, of course, when I and when I wrote it, I knew that that meant, at least in that draft, that Charlotte Luna was killed somebody. But again, right. I was like, I don't know who she kills or why she kills him. I just knew that, oh, that that, that felt good. I'll, I'll figure out the rest later. And then, um, so that was never meant to be a surprise. But then that same professor, um, who I can almost, that, that first part, he just, you know, I'm sure he forgot it. So one of his notes was, I really liked the reveal halfway through that the, the daughter was the narrator. And I was thinking, oh, that wasn't a reveal, but I liked the idea of it being a reveal. So, so then I went back and I took out that, you know, the first part in that first, in the prologue and I figured, okay, well, let this be a reveal. Cause that is a, it's a, it's a, it's an easy change. It's literally just taking out a line in the, the prologue and then it becomes a fun dynamic that'll get revealed you know, after the end of the first, uh, I, I guess, when did it get revealed? Like, it actually gets at the end of part, part one, it gets revealed. Because um, even part three of the book wasn't part of the original structure. I was uh, I was telling uh, Danelle that it was going to be told in two parts. That was always my idea. And eventually I made it three parts because I kept thinking about the end of the book. And I kept thinking about how it's so much bigger than sort of a, a couple, like a chapter or two. And then finally I realized I'll just... I'll just write as much as it feels like needs to be there. And then it became, that became part three. So that wasn't also uh, structure wise that that came along later. Um, as far as the first half and, uh, and I think yeah. I'm answering your, your question correctly. And if not, by all means, uh, yeah, let me know. The first half never really yeah, changed no. a whole lot. Um, so the challenge for me became about structuring the second half. So again, it's more timber story. Um, and that it also feels like a story that organically, picks up from the first half. So like my concern was going to be people were going to read it and they was going to feel like I wrote part two way after part one was done, which was kind of sort of true. Um, and uh, fortunately the, the people who, who, who enjoy the book have never, it's always seemed to feel uh, like all the parts organically worked, worked together, which was ultimately the idea. So, uh, so the second half that's uh Honestly, the, the 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 way that I write novels now, in terms of structure and organization and outlining and plotting, I really learned that by restructuring the second half of the books. So now I do all my books the way that I ultimately did that second half. The first half was as as close to a uh, you know right by the seat of my pants, no outline that I've generally done with the story. Which leads us to the next question, which was, is there going to be a sequel? And with that, I will turn it over to the next person who's going to ask questions. But thank you so much. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm Laleen. Laleen? Yeah. Okay. Pleasure to meet you, Laleen. My name is Martin. Nice to meet you. Thank you for making time for our our book club. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys for taking time to read my book. It uh, From the bottom of my heart, it means a whole lot to me. Yeah. So we have a few more questions. And the next 
one is about how or what inspired you to pick these names for your characters? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. So uh, I, I can start with overall, my general philosophy when I'm naming characters in any book, I I almost put next to no thought at all into character names because my, my thought process is that I can name them anything I want, uh, even if the name doesn't feel important. And then through the process of developing the character, the name will sort of start to seep in and, and stick. But uh, I, uh, but of course, within the divinity, uh, I'm sure you guys recognize that the names are a little bit weird or unique, or certainly not names that you might you might not hear. And you know, when the teacher's calling roll in grade school or whatever. So the thought process with the with this with names like timber and pepsi and jupiter and and the such was that uh i i figured okay they're in this cult they're in this they're in this combine they're isolated from society so on the one hand particularly for for the members of this cult who were born and raised there and really have no access or influence from the outside world they wouldn't hear what we would take as normal names like michael or Mm -hmm. jennifer or whatever so, so they would have names that were certainly names that wouldn't be normal to us, uh, names that maybe, maybe they would have heard. So, so Jupiter, it wasn't crazy to me that, that maybe they knew a little bit about astronomy and, and, you know, like Pepsi, you know, I could, I I'd sort of imagine that, you know, Daddy Marlowe or Daddy Marlowe's boys, you know, people who've actually been in the outside and, you know, they have reference to Pepsi. So that was just sort of like a name they had. And, you know, Timber was a name that I came up with just because it, I wanted something that resonated with the with the woods and the forest. So on the one hand, the fun was I knew that the stranger the name was, the the better it fit, which I enjoyed. But the philosophy behind it was that within this cult, these are the names that they would have access to because they wouldn't have any access or influence from the names that say you and I grew up hearing. So that's kind of that's kind of where that came from. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello. Hold on, Martin. I'm, I'm listening to her. Hey, I'm listening to her summary here. Oh yeah, yeah. Take a take a minute. I I think you were just sitting around your apartment, just looking at all the trash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's absolutely how Kirkland uh, got his name. <laughs> oh, that's how Cos- who? That's how Kirkland got his name. I think I just shopped at Costco. Oh, okay. Uh, Kirkland got his name that way. <laughs> um. You know, near the beginning, and I, I don't know if you intentionally did this or uh, just because uh, you were born and raised in Rancho, but um, a lot of the dialogue was a uh, southern accent. Was that a, a intentional? <laughs> you know, it it, um, it it was a little bit, and I and um, a little bit. And I'll be totally honest with that. Like that was that I thought about it, but I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I think I was more thinking of, um, I was. One thing that I struggled a little bit with was trying to decide, uh, on the one hand, sort of what, what uh, I don't know, what education level would would this cult be at if they don't have formal education, but they're not uh, they're not dumb people. <laughs> but that's the thing I didn't think of it as like uh, like a southern accent. I was just no. thinking like, how would they talk if maybe they didn't weren't educated formally uh, and they didn't read books, but they just sort of grew up with language. And then of course, basically it, they spoke like that because they're uneducated. No, because, you know, uh, I'm sure you noticed, but, like, a lot of people in Rancho kind of choose, like, a, in Fontana, they choose, like, an affectation of, like, a southern accent. <laughs> which, uh, so, uh, which, 
No, that's I, that's a that's a that's a totally fair observation. I, I I wish I could tell you I put that much thought into it. I um, but it was really just more yeah. of me trying to figure out uh, you know, again, like I said, how what what level of like formal education, but then I also um as best as I could wanted to demonstrate that uh, whatever whatever their language might reveal or imply about their education, they were also uh, a very a very sort of sophisticated uh, society insofar as how they figured out how, how to exist day to day. So my, I think I sort of hoped that would balance, you know, balance out that it might on some level have the appearance that, you know, they don't seem to know much, but really um, the way right. that they survive and the, this community they built is um, uh, my, my hope was it would be seen as sophisticated uh, in spite of what, it, what appears to be uh, a lack of education. I'm going to ask you a really tough question. I hope I have an answer. And I'm, I'm, and I'm the only guy in this, uh, this book club so far. So, um, <laughs> but something we've talked about with uh, other books, as a male author and somebody who's well-read, do you really think that male authors can write a female perspective? And it's, maybe that's one of the reasons why you made um, Timber uh, homosexual. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a great question. And that's, uh, that's something that years before I ever wrote Inside the Outside, when I was just studying English and taking creative writing workshops, that was absolutely a, a question that I, that I struggled with is, uh, not, not only, I, with that um, I, I, it, I and it yeah. wasn't even so much that I, I worried about whether uh, a man say could or should, but it was, I think more for me than anything else, my concern was, uh, if if I did it, could I do it? Could I do it in a way that felt uh, felt authentic? And so I, I have a a memory of taking a creative writing class and um, writing a short story for the workshop in that class, where uh, the main character was a woman, and uh, it was it was a silly sort of uh, it, it was there was nothing particularly deep about the story. I think as much as anything else, I just wanted to try this on to see kind of how it felt because my concern all along was that. You know, it's not if that's not my experience. How can I reasonably write this experience in a in an authentic way? And so then I, I you know I wrote the right. story, and then there was a guy in the workshop who I, I don't believe uh, him, but I take his point. He said that you know it sounded like a guy was writing this woman that even if he didn't know it was me, he still would have felt that. Which truthfully I think is bullshit. But I still remember that 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 was because that was okay. a, a concern I had. So then so then ultimately the 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 sort of revelation that I had for myself was that when I write male characters, um, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing that I do to make them male. I just write characters that I find interesting. And then I realized I could apply that to women that I, that, that you know, I'm just writing an interesting character that in this case I'm making a woman, but I was also, uh, I was also still conscious of it. So anytime I got into a particular, a particular uh, scene or chapter where um, the, the, the female experience was where I feel like it was important to get right. I always made a point of at least having Chanel read it and then, Oh, okay. Um, let me know, you know, what, what I could change, what I can add, what felt right, what felt false, that sort of thing. You don't have any kids, right? Did you know? Of? No kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, well, now I want to follow up on that. Is, um, is that why you made her particularly like oblivious to the world? So you could kind of yeah, throw in, fact, in your own perspective through her. 
So I, I can't say that I had the forethought to to do that by design, but it definitely did help that you know that she okay. that she would know that stuff. But then by the same token, uh, Ginger Falls would be familiar with that world. So of course, in the same way that you know Ginger Falls right. would kind of teach her a little bit about sort of mainstream things that uh, you know uh, Western women might be engaged in, uh, she got that through Timber. But like. It, it's stuff like that, like, you know, that like Chanel is because, is, you know, you met Chanel, you know, Chanel, she loves uh, she loves makeup and dresses. And, you know, she's not uh, an all out girly girl, but she does have a, a very clear perspective where she can she can either let me know how something sounds or she can just throw in details like, you know, uh, I, I can't think of one, but, you know, Ginger might tell her about this or she might think about that and stuff that it wouldn't even occur to me. Um, I, I I think this is the last question, but uh, uh, why were there no old people in the divinity? I mean, I'm assuming they were like sacrificed, but why why particularly? That's they, no, that's uh, uh, these are I I love these questions because that's something else that I spent a lot of time thinking about when I was uh, when I was writing the divinity. Um, I, I think I think in large parts, uh, ultimately, the decision I came to was that if there was if there was, say, a, a senior citizen in the community or it, within the divinity, that it would raise the question first with me as I was writing it, possibly with the with the reader, why is this person alive? How did they escape? Uh, how did they escape uh, getting uh, sacrificed at some point? And so the only real people who have any significant years under their belt are Daddy Marlow and, and Luna. Gotcha. And then right. everybody else, you know. Uh, why? Why did Luna choose? Sorry, I said that was the last question. But why, why did Luna choose to, to go? Like, what was so complicated in her life that the divinity was better? Okay, that's okay. So this is a this is a great question. Where uh, I'll, I'll start with the first part, which is um, I don't one hundred percent have an have an answer. Like when I wrote it, it was just sort of a general thought that. You know, uh, she liked the idea of the simplicity of, of the divinity, that whatever was going on in her life on the outside, mm-hmm. you know, she liked the idea of giving it all up and going there, which, which, I'm, which, you know, which you kind of get from the book, exactly what was happening in her life. Um, that's truthfully, not, it, it's not something that I ever spent a lot of time thinking about, about but I, I do have a, a okay. second answer I can give you in a second. But um, one of the, one of the benefits uh, that I took advantage of was was not only was it not only was I writing in the first person point of view, but I was writing in the first person point of view who was telling somebody else's story. So that meant I could only share the details that Charlotte Luna could have learned from somebody. So uh, so if okay. Luna had survived, then she could have reasonably told her this stuff and then she could have related. So since Luna ultimately gets killed um, Charlotte Luna. We'll never really know. She'll never know, and Timber never would have thought to ask. And then, if, as a writer, it gives me permission not to have to figure it out. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to explain that um, after I let you go. But uh, say bye from everybody. <laughs> uh, thanks for talking to us, man. I really appreciate it. It was a hundred percent my pleasure. I'm so glad that uh, that we did this, and 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 of course, if you know, whenever you guys want to do it next time, I'm in California. I'll give you a heads up because I would love to actually mm-hmm. do this in person for real. You'd love to meet us uh, in person. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. We might say some bad things about your book to your face. 
I've I've read worse on Amazon. <laughs> you've read worse on Amazon? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've seen some of them. I was telling them about the one that uh, was really funny. I was like, I read this book three times and it stuck each time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's all right. right man. Well, one. thanks a lot. No, thank you guys. Have Healthy a great rest. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your okay. day. And there you have it. That was my conversation with the Villainy and Vice Book Club. And uh, I got to be honest with you, going back and listening to that with you guys just now, I, I, I think the entire conversation I listened to, I was smiling ear to ear. It was just, it was so fun to listen to. It was so fun to to really to, to remember this conversation that I had with the book club. Uh, and holy shit, they were asking some really genuinely amazing questions. I didn't know what to expect going into it. Um, and it's not that I had like low expectations. I I just didn't know what to expect. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say I, I, I was, I, I, I don't know, I guess I wasn't expecting the, the uh, I don't know, the, 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 the really, the, I don't even, the really what I see. I, I was gonna say this. I was gonna say something like just the whatever the high, high level of intellect or something like that. But then I, you know, you also heard me pause because I realized as soon as I say that, that makes me sound like an asshole. Like I was totally expecting them not to have intellectual questions. So, God, I guess that's twice on today's episode that uh, that I'm the asshole. This is a uh, man. I am. I, this is. I am not making a good showing as far as uh, as far as not being an asshole on this episode. But anyway, I think I, I just wanted to make the point that, uh, that they were amazing and they had, they had really amazing questions and I loved engaging with them and answering their questions. And, and really too, it gave me a chance to, to really reflect and go back and talk about this book that I'm so very proud of. Uh, and also I was actually very, uh, proud of myself that, that I remembered so much about my book because, you know, I, it, you might think it's obvious that I should just remember shit about my book, but you know, Fuck! I wrote it five years ago, six years ago, and uh, and I haven't really. I, I mean, I, I I I literally haven't read it since I since I published it. Because once I published it, I moved on to other to other other projects. So uh, I was I I don't know if I was proud or relieved, but either way, I'm uh, I'm 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 happy. I was able to uh to 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 answer their questions with uh with with some level of uh some less uh, you know yeah I, I I guess at the very least. Um, I, 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 I properly fooled them if it, just in case there was any doubt that I actually wrote the book, then, uh, then at the very least, I, I'm, I'm sure I pulled off that convincing them that I wrote this book, which I did. I don't know why I'm making it sound like I didn't write the book. Actually, I do know why it's because the podcast is over and there's like nothing else to talk about. So I really just need to go ahead and wrap this up. You know, before I wrap it up though, uh, one of the questions that, that came up was, uh, was Nick asked about. Uh, basically asked about uh, my thoughts about a male author writing uh, writing in a female voice, um, and I mean he, he he was asking on behalf of the group, so it was a question that they all had. And so, in uh, as I answered the question, I told him about a story that you know when I was in college and I was and I was writing a short story for a, a creative writing uh, workshop that I was a part of, and um, and so that particular story, uh, I would pick it up again years later and. Uh, Specifically, I picked it up. Uh, I would say earlier this year, and uh, and I went back to it and uh, and I worked on it and I revised it and I turned it into a story, a short story called "The Big Night," 
and the big knight appears in my in my newest book Dolph the Unicorn Killer and Other Stories which is available on amazon.com both in paperback as well as in Kindle format so uh so you know so 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 that's uh that's some that's some form of full circle is uh is you know I I I was uh, attempting to to write in a female voice for the first time in college and then you know that was probably almost definitely that was somewhere in the area of 12 13 years ago that I first wrote that story and so then you know over a decade later went back to it and uh, and now it is uh, officially published and it's it's part of my part of my part of my writing career or something like that part of my part of my book library whatever part of the Martin Lestrap's canon I, I really don't know what, what what to call it anyway like I said it's time to wrap up so thanks again to the villainy and vice book club uh, both for being on the show but also for picking inside the outside for their for their book club meeting it really genuinely genuinely and truly means a lot to me it was a terrific honor I loved talking to you guys uh, I also want to thank all of you for listening and uh, and uh, and uh, supporting the podcast Uh, And until next time, I will see you on the other side.